Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. chapter 19, verse 8 to 27, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of those scrolls, of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Verse 23, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord.
Faye, thank you. But Faye, sorry. Sorry about that uh, disturbance. Morning, everyone. All right, so we, we, um, if you've not joined us in a while, uh, we're happy to have you again. But we've been doing a series called Love Lagos. And um, it's really trying to make a case as to why God loves this city and that you should love this city. What does it mean to love this city? And that if you love the city, stay in the city. All right. And so we've been, we, we looked at first just the, the fundamental basis of why we say you should love Lagos. And we looked at Jonah 4. And then after that, we looked at um, I might the third and the fourth one. No, no, no. That's the third one. That's the fourth one. And none of you can even remind me. That means you don't even remember. Why, why, it was why love Lagos? And then, oh, man. It's been a, eh? Eh? No, how? You see them. Second one now. How to remit? Is that the second one? Oh, whatever. Okay. It's on the podcast. We have a podcast called How We Make Idols Through Lagos. All right. How We Make Idols Through Lagos. So how not to, how not to uh, love Lagos, if you like. And then we talked about um, why to remain in Lagos. And then we talked about how to remain in Lagos. Okay. So now we're looking at something else. Now, you know what an oxymoron is? Who knows what an oxymoron is? I'm not going to ask, since you guys couldn't remember the second uh, sermon. It's a figure of speech where apparently two contradictory terms or ideas, right, are brought together in conjunction, right, to produce a desired effect. So it's apparently two contradictory ideas or terms, all right, that are brought into conjunction to produce um, a desired effect, all right? So having said that, it's time to introduce yet another edition of my quiz. Are we ready? All right, I have a quiz. So it's, it's an oxymoron quiz, OK? And since you people are all very brilliant people, I've already just ex I've defined what it is. I'm going to give you five things here, and you need to tell me, is this an oxymoron or not? All right, first one, a married spinster. True. It's true or false? True or false? OK, true. All right, second one, a slim Nigerian matron. <laughs> I've seen one in my life. I've seen one. I've seen one in my life. So, so it can be, it can be totally true. It, it's so, it's a little bit false. All right, a little bit false. This one, an unsophisticated Ijebu Ede man. Eh? What? Don't, what did you tell me? No, no, no. I'm sorry. Let me read it again. So, it's not, sof, it's not sophisticated. Unsophisticated Ijebu Ode. It's not the Jebu Igbo. All right, let's just forget that one because you are not. You guys aren't smart enough. That that's okay. That's false. All right. In case you didn't know. Next one, an unintelligent Cambridge graduate. Right. Right. I mean, there's. I know there's one that calls himself a historian, um, but we shall not. Uh, a popular historian, political historian. He was once a minister, but I shall not call. I shall call the name to prevent the guilty. All right, now, um, and the final one, an unsent Christian. But what I mean, uh, what I mean by unsent Christian is a Christian who is not a missionary. Most of the time, when we think about the word missionary, we often think of brave people who've decided to take the gospel to unreached um, places at the cost of their lives. 
at the cost of their careers, some of them. Here's what we never think about if you're a Christian. When you think about a missionary, here's what you never think about yourself. Me? No, I, no. I'm meant to work. I'm meant to support missionaries. You see, the word mission, really, is the English, in the, is the English translation of the um, Latin word whose equivalent in Greek is sent. Right? So the equivalent in Greek is apostolos, from where we get apostolic, sent. Latin is missio. All right? But they are the same word. One is in Latin, one is in Greek. So when we translate the Greek word, we get sent. When we translate the Latin word, we get mission. So the question is, as a Christian, an unchristian, uh, an unsent Christian, is it an oxymoron or not? You see, Jesus says that we all are. In fact, in John 20, verse 21, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am what? Sending you. He was extending it to all Christians. Now, the sphere of, or the place we are being sent to, right, will be different. So, so there is a category for vocational ministries, uh, vocational missionaries that go into unreached parts of the world. But that's a category. For every Christian, we are sent. It isn't whether we are sent. It's how we are sent or where we are sent to. And so let's say you say, I am going to be living in the city of Lagos. Guess where you are sent to? We are sent to Lagos. Now, in the passage he read for us, we see another city as well that Paul felt sent to. In verse 1, he tells us what city that is. Paul, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived where? At Ephesus. Ephesus was the most important commercial city in its region. So like Lagos would be the most important commercial city in this country. Ephesus was the most commercial, uh, important city, commercial city in that region. It was also the most important culturally. It was also like Lagos on a coast. It also had a lot of people. So it was a strategic location for Paul because as we see in verse 8, he preached the kingdom of God there for nearly three years, but then what happened? In verse 10, it says that the entire region, the entire region of Asia Minor, the people, the Jews and Greeks who lived there, all heard the word of the Lord. All heard the word of the Lord because it was in a strategic place. Virtually everyone used to come to that place, and some of them would go back to their own places, and so they took the word of the Lord there. And so the question then becomes, Oh, so what's my mission? My mission is to go and preach alone to the gospel, to hearers. Is it just about words? Well, first of all, notice that it is not just God, it's not Paul just speaking. It's not Paul just preaching. Yes, it says here that Paul is preaching. But really what happens is that God is the one that preaches or speaks through Paul. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, listen to what he says when we preach the gospel. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were what? Making his appeal through us. So the message, be reconciled to God, is God making his what? Appeal through us. So when he says that Paul was preaching the gospel, it's true, but it's God that is doing it 
through Paul. Amen? So, that's important. Nobody gets into the kingdom without responding to the word of the kingdom. But notice as well, once you get to verse 11, it talks about the deeds. You see, the word of the kingdom is meant to be accompanied with the deeds of the kingdom. I'll say it again. Word is meant to be accompanied with deeds. Luke, at the beginning of Acts, tells us, very, very beginning of Acts, he tells us about Jesus. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, so he's writing the book of Acts to a guy called Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and teach. You see there, words and deeds. Now, notice he said, in my former book. What's his former book? Luke. So, Luke has volume 1 and volume 2. Volume 2 is the book of Acts. Volume 1 is the book of Luke. So, he said, you remember I told you all those things. So, for example, in the former book, in volume 1, in Luke 4, 36 to 37, look at what Jesus did. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words, uh, what words these are? Jesus just healed a demoniac, right? He just exorcised somebody who had a demon. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So before that, he had preached, and then he exorcised a demon. Both what he began to do and teach. So when you go back to our passage in verse 11, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Do we understand now? When Paul preached the kingdom, it was God preaching through him. And here it tells us that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So when we are going to talk about our missional call, how we are sent, it is both proclamation and demonstration. It's both words and deeds. Yes, the words are the primary way through which the kingdom spreads, but the deeds demonstrate the validity and potency of the word in our lives. People enter the kingdom by believing the word of the kingdom. However, kingdom people are sent out to preach about the kingdom and live lives that illustrate what being part of the kingdom is about. Do we understand that? Listen, guys, what we're going to learn today is that Lagos needs missional Christians working for a transformed Lagos. And by that, I mean that God wants to use you. He wants to use us to renew this city spiritually, socially, and culturally by words and deeds. So we're going to examine that under three headings. The title of the sermon is Working for a Transformed Lagos. And the three headings or three um, uh, points would be Elements of transformation, opposition to transformation, and victory for transformation. Elements of transformation, opposition to transformation, and victory for transformation. All right, let's start. Elements for transformation. Now, if you want to achieve anything in this city, I think, and this is really the crux of Dami's message last time, you need a particular mindset. What is that mindset? That mindset accepts staying and making a positive difference. Two things. To stay and to make a positive difference. If you have one without the other, there will be a problem. 
If you stay without the mindset of making a positive difference, you know what you'll do? You'll be a complainer. You'll complain about everything. You can't get out. You hate being around. And you don't decide you want to do anything. So you just complain. If you leave and you say you want to make a positive difference, you'll be, your impact will be severely or significantly diminished. So the mindset of someone that God can use to change this city is one of someone that wants to stay and make an impact. You can see that with Paul. When Paul came to Ephesus, he spent the longest time in his ministry in Ephesus. He stayed. In fact, he stayed, if you notice in verse 8, uh, verse 9, they said after he preached about the kingdom, some people refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. He had challenges. He didn't say, uh-uh, now wow, you people are going to hell. I came. I started preaching, and you are now, you are now publicly maligned the way to hell with you, literally, and then get out. No, what did Paul do? Wow, they didn't want me in the synagogue, so what am I going to do? I'm going to get a lecture hall. And he stayed an additional two and a half or two, three quarter years there. But also, when there was even greater challenges, and he knew his time was up, notice what he did in verse 22. It says there in verse 22, after he sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia, what happened? He stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. That may challenge some of us. Says, if you had planned that you are going to go in two years, why not make it five years? Stay longer. If you had planned that you are going to go in three years, why not make it six years? Stay longer. But remember, to stay, you have to stay to what? Make a positive difference. Now, if we have that mindset, our individual and collaborative kingdom efforts will achieve nothing short of a spiritual, social, and cultural impact. So I want to run through those three things. What does a spiritual, social, and cultural impact do? These are the elements of transformation. So let's go to the first one, the spiritual. Go to verse 18 and 19. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. We are told that people, the effect of Paul's ministry was that people began to confess openly. They openly confessed their sins. Now listen to me. And I think this is where a lot of times as Christians, and this has happened at different times in different parts of the world, we miss it. We know that deeds matter. We know that people are suffering. We know people are dying. We know all of those things. And then we start to feel, shift our eyes and say, yeah, yeah, all that gospel thing, yeah, it matters. But what does it matter if somebody believes the gospel and still goes to bed hungry? And so we take that and we start saying that over and over and over again until we forget the gospel and we focus on deeds. Ground zero of the renewal that God brings is spiritual. In Paul's ministry and preaching about the kingdom, notice the kingdom, if you're going to preach about the kingdom, the biggest problem anyone has is that while being in the dominion of darkness, they are under the dominion of darkness. And when they're under the dominion of darkness, they really are on their way to spiritual death. That is the plight of everyone without Christ. 
So what does the good news come to achieve? Colossians 1 verse 13 to 14 tells us, right? He has come to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption. How do we get into that kingdom? The forgiveness of sins. Remember, if you are under the dominion of darkness, eventually that is bringing you to eternal death. Why did Jesus come? So that we may have eternal life. John 5, chapter, uh, uh, John 5 uh, uh, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Ground zero of the renewal that the kingdom of God brings is a transfer of kingdoms. If you like, that is the true migration we are looking for. It's a migration where you really don't have to go through um, some kind of uh, spiritual um, uh, assessment process. The assessment, in fact, you know, if you're trying to go to Canada, if you don't, if you're, if you're at the age of 50 and you've not, you, know, you don't have certain jobs, you won't go through here it is, how old are you? Like, that's Canada. I am, I am 82. What can you do? Uh, I've been, and I'm not saying anything is bad with this skill. I'm just saying they don't allow it. I've been a cleaner all my life. How many children do you have? I have eight. How many grandchildren do you have? Last time I checked, 32. What are they doing? Almost all of them are unemployed. And if she gets, if she gets the... Uh, if she goes through, her children and all her grandchildren maybe will have accessibility. And it's like seeing that kind of person and say, why do you want to come to Canada? I say, because I just love it here. Because you are people of grace. And you accept people like me. And imagine the people saying, oh, yeah, come in. Lie, lie, You see, there, that kingdom is thinking on merit. It's based on merit. You earn your way into that country. Here, what do you bring? Nothing in my hand, I bring. Simply to your cross, I cling. We bring nothing, except that we believe and what? Repent. And repentance is a big issue nowadays, I think. Because it's easy to talk about belief, but what is repentance? Because here it says, that it produced repentance. The gospel produced repentance. Let me say something about the gospel he preached. It was a contextualized gospel. The same gospel, but contextualized. Because in verse 10, it says that the kingdom, he, he preached the uh, verse 8, he preached the kingdom of God. In verse 10, he said the word of the Lord increased. And in verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread. And so you say, oh, Paul just went around saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the good news. Or he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in. You know, just tell them what it is. But what does Demetrius say that Paul said in verse, 20, uh, uh, verse uh, 25, uh, verse 26? He says, he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. I thought he preached the kingdom. Where have you ever seen that the kingdom says that gods who are made by human hands are no, are no gods at all? No, don't you get it? If he's going to bring the kingdom to this specific place in this specific, uh, this specific time, he has to take the word of the Lord truly, which is that the incarnate crucified Savior Jesus Christ is now the, uh, the risen Lord and impending judge of the world. Yes, but he has to bring it into 
the things that those people are going through. And so in that city, they believed in God's made by human hands. And he's saying, if this gospel is true, that thing is wrong. And so if you're ever trying to bring the word of the Lord to people here in Lagos, you have to be able to say, if this gospel is true, then this thing that you serve is wrong. Amen? Amen. It's not just throwing out that definition to people. It is based on that definition and based on what people are going through, what does it mean? That's why we say context is king, context is queen. But I want to change that because that's almost saying that kings and queens are not the same. So let's put it this way. Get a PhD in your content, the gospel, and get an MSc in your context, the people. Amen. Now, if we bring that, what happens? It begins to produce genuine repentance. And when we say genuine repentance, yes, on the one hand, you need repentance to cross over. But a spiritual renewal is not just about, I repented once. A spiritual renewal is about genuine repentance, constantly. A lifestyle of repentance and faith. So when Jesus said, hey, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1.15. He says, repent and believe the gospel. And when he said that, he didn't say, repent once and that's it. He said, no, your lifestyle should be one that produces over and over, the, um, uh, uh, repentance. Let me give you four different ways we repent that actually the Bible doesn't support, but it's very popular. One, repentance is, you've committed, when I say a serious sin, there are different sins we sin every day, that's why we came and confessed, but you've committed a serious sin. What do you do? Secret confession. After all, I have a public, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, just me and Jesus Christ, so, um, Nobody needs to know about it. So I just have to, just me and God. Quite often the problem with this is that you are just trying to assuage your guilt. You are not actually going to the root of it. And you wouldn't know that unless some other people who are mature can tell you it's true. This thing you are doing, there is genuine repentance here. Beware of how much your heart tries to deceive you. And the way you can know that is not just by trusting your own self. Second way, another one that we do is moment, momentary sorrow. Momentary sorrow. You know what that is? Just cry at that time. Cry, cry, cry. Let everybody see you are crying. I won't do that again. The problem with that many times with many people that have counseled is they are crying because they were hurt. They are crying because they were hurt. They are hurt, why? That they have been found out. Like someone I recently, a client I recently did something terribly. The person did something terrible. I spoke with the person. Eventually, the person wrote to me. You know what the person said? He said, I'm really sorry that, that I let you and your organization down. My, the way I have wanted to do things is to always make my customers happy. And I'm sorry that you don't feel that way. What did he just do? He didn't acknowledge what he had done. What he acknowledged was the fact that he looks bad in front of us. That's not genuine repentance. He feels bad that he could lose his contract. He feels bad that he's, he's ashamed of the fact that he's been opened out. But he hasn't genuinely repented. Momentary sorrow. Another one is mindset change. So some people, it's not, it's not about crying. It's not about repentance. It's just about changing your mind. 
Just change your mind. It's a mental ascent. The problem there is that Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Repentance is not just about the mind. It wasn't just a mistake such that I was doing something that was wrong. I've now realized it's wrong. I now change. There should be grievance over it. And then the final one is deflecting solutions. Very linked to the third one. I changed, my, I, I changed, so, all right, all right, let's just move on. What, okay, okay, now that you said it, let's not waste time talking about the past. Have you ever met somebody like that? They do something to you, you say, well, why are we talking about the past? Okay, well, let's talk about what we can do now. They want to move. They want to deflect and bring a solution. What does godly, what does re, good, godly repentance look like? Look at 2 Corinthians, quickly, 7, verse, 9 to, verse 8 to 10. Paul is writing to the Corinthians who have been very bad. And so he doesn't write a pleasant letter to them. And sometimes, and I'll say this, sometimes we encourage people to move them to repentance. Sometimes we have to be very direct with people. In other words, snatch them out of fire. So Paul has written a letter that caused them sorrow. It says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. And then he says, though I did regret it. What's happening there? He's not contradicting himself. You know what Paul is saying? And I'm saying this to some of us, especially some of us who are leaders here. as well as you disciple other people. Paul is saying, when you have to rebuke somebody, don't feel good about it. Don't just be very cavalier about, yeah, you come here. How, why are you doing that? Don't you know God doesn't like it? Every single place. And then you now go and now say, hey, they now respect me. I have authority. Paul is saying when you do that, now he had apostolic authority. When he was writing the letter to them, it was paining him. How would they feel? I've caused this person sorrow. That's what he meant by I regret it. But Paul is also saying that don't be too scared. Don't think about reputation. Don't think about how this person will think about you. Don't overly think about the sorrow that the person will cause while you allow them to continue to sin. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Think in the long term. Don't only think in the short term. Why I didn't regret it is because it will cause you sorrow, hopefully, if you respond to it, only for a little while. Yet, now I am what? Happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow. I'm not happy, right, because you felt bad. That one... I'm not happy about. But here's why I'm happy. Because after you felt bad, that led to what? Repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Sometimes we just think, if I say this thing to this person, stop doing this thing, ah, I'm going to hurt the person. But he said, the way God intends things, you are not going to really hurt that person. In fact, you will be saving that person. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Notice, they were sorrowful. They had a mindset change. Obviously, they were fruit of repentance. And their confession was not in secret. And it's the same thing here. It says that they publicly and openly confessed what they had done. You see, this kind of open confession 
wasn't just that they publicly confessed, but what did they do? They burnt their scrolls. There were actions, fruit of repentance. And it came at a personal cost. Many times, too many Christians in, in Lagos are unmarried and sexually active, corrupt, let's say, as they work in the public sector, collecting bribes, some people in occultic practices, some people in the way they lead their bosses, uh, their, their staff. They are, you know why you're not repenting and you're not really changing? Because we're unable to deal with the cost of repentance. It's too much. It's too much. If I stop the sexual activity, what am I going to do with my desires? Or oh, this person will leave me. And so we justify the sin by explaining the Bible away. If I don't put this kind of control, right, all of them will be indisciplined. It's going to affect our bottom line. And we're not talking about not putting control. We're talking about not being harsh. But you can't deal with the cost of repentance. A spiritual renewal is not just going to bring people into the kingdom. It is going to make them live like the kingdom. Amen? And so when we are asking for God to move in this city, we are asking for a spiritual renewal. Let's quickly move on. Social renewal. Now, in the spiritual renewal, we know that kingdom people are transferred into the kingdom so that they can get other people to transfer them. But with social and cultural renewal, the kingdom people, as we are in the kingdom, we are being transformed. But why are we being transformed? So that we can get other people transformed too. Notice what happened. In verse 17, it says, Jesus' name, the Lord Jesus, was, his name was held in high honor. Not in the church, but among who? Among the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. Jesus' name was held in high honor. And I'll tell you why. Because of the social transformation that was brought. There was social appreciation of the church because of the social transformation that the church brought. What was that thing? Now, that verse 17 is reacting to what happens in verses 11 and 12. Get there. What happened in 11 and 12? God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. What happened? What happened? What, what happened? Say it now. You were, I just read it. Right? God did what? Miracle. Extraordinary miracles through Paul. They were sick people. They couldn't afford going to hospital. There were no good hospitals around them. The sickness was going to, if they died, it was going to totally affect their family. All they needed, all they could get, or all they had was really a miracle. Here's the problem, and honestly, there's only one direct way to interpret that. We need to be doing more miracles. Amen? Amen? Amen. You know, we're very comfortable around here, living on the island, good hospitals, everything, so that when you have a particular illness, you can quickly go, your HMO has covered it. And so even when you say, I believe in miracles, you're actually not seeing any miracles. So what then will you start doing? We start debating, arguing about whether miracles are for today or not. So first problem is you argue too much, so you won't see any miracle. Second problem is that we doubt too much, so we won't see any miracle. The same kingdom that gets us saved is the kingdom that has power, for the kingdom of God is in power. 
And many of these people believe they had no other choice. They needed a miracle. Let me tell you another reason why we don't see miracles. You know why? Where was the miracle done? Inside or outside the church? As someone counted, of the 40 miracles that are recorded in Acts, do you know how many are done outside the church? Do you know how many are done? 39. Why are we not seeing miracles? Because we are stuck here. The people that need it often, especially for the spread of the kingdom, they are outside there. When last did you see somebody, the person is sick, you just say, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Why? Because maybe you don't have the money to take the person to the hospital and pay the bills. Good. Peter and John, too, did not have. So what did they say? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, do what? Rise up and walk. When last did we believe in that? Because guess what? What the miracles serve to do, one, yes, to advance the kingdom, because now you say, oh, there's power in this kingdom. But second, it transformed that person's life, whether or not the person believed. Amen? And so, guys, what I'm saying is let us not become too comfortable. Let money, let, not, let our, where we work, let all our reading, let it not make us too comfortable. What do you do? When you see somebody that is sick, ask them, can I pray for you? You say, but what if it doesn't get healed? Eh, if it doesn't get healed, is it you that is doing the miracle? Who is doing miracles? Okay, so God did not decide to do the miracle. So pray for God to provide for the person. In other words, just pray. The fact that God does not do it this time doesn't mean that God doesn't do it. But if you never pray about it, guess what will never happen? The miracle would. But there's another thing. Notice that it says that Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs were being used and they were healing. And everybody's saying, what are you going to do with that now? <laughs> what you are going to do with that now is... If you heal somebody, remember the cloth that you are wearing. Don't wash it. Just keep it like that. You now have your miracle cloth. The mantle. The anointing is on it. Now, first of all, you never see that recorded anywhere else in Scripture. In other words, it's one incident. But here's what I can get from it, the principle I can get from it. God used Paul, but God used other means as well. That is, Paul was the human vessel, but, but God also used mediums to be able to, to do the healing. In other words, you may not get healing miraculously, but you may get healing through other means. And that's why God has given medical means. Amen? In other words, part of how we get this social transformation as we're bringing healing is as we bring the word, we bring medical healing. One of the things that the church has used for a long time is, have you ever heard of them, medical Missions. People go and say, let's give free glasses. Let's give what I'm saying is that God can use medical means, uh, direct medical means to heal. He can use us advocating for better uh, um, um, healthcare policies. And he can actually use some of us who are called in that space to actually formulate better policies, advocate with the government. You are still doing the work of God. Amen. Amen. Because this starts to bring social transformation. And I've only just spoken in the healthcare space because that is a really big ticking time bomb, I think, on our hands. But at the same time, it is the same thing with tackling urban poverty and the causes, tackling drug addiction, domestic abuse, human trafficking, vocational empowerment, prison reform, legal aid, mental health. As Christians do this in Lagos, guess what we are doing? We are bringing social renewal. Amen. 
Now you say, ah, that's overwhelming. I can't do all of those things. Exactly, do one. Just one. I can't set up an organization. There are many organizations that are around. Give to them, volunteer with them. Get passionate about something. And when they ask you, why do you do this thing? It's because of the name of Jesus Christ. What's the effect? The name of Jesus will be held in high honor. When social transformation comes by the church, there is social appreciation by the world for the church. Amen. And then, finally, cultural. By culture, what do I mean? A guy called Osginus defined culture this way. He says, culture is, is the best defi uh, shortest definition I know of culture and probably the best one there. Culture is a way of life lived in common. A way of life lived in common. That is, the common way we eat, the common way we dress, the common way we love, the common way we entertain, the common way we speak and work. Let me tell you an effect of a spiritual movement on the way we talk. Holy Ghost! Ah, you see. Whether you believe in what the movement stands for or not, we know exactly what's coming after that. That's a cultural artifact. If I say, somebody says something bad to you, this thing will happen to you, what do you say? Three words. I reject it. Cultural impact. Even thinking about your work, pro, uh, promotion does not come, not from the, but it comes from, you see. Whether we believe these things or not, it has made a cultural impact because it affects the way we commonly speak. And for many people, the way we think. And so it's saying here, when Paul's ministry started to move, it affected the way people worked. They came with their... The ones who used to practice sorcery, what did they do? They brought their scrolls together. They burned them publicly. We see the uproar that was caused down there by the silversmith and all the people, the craftsmen that were there. If a, renewal, if a spiritual and social renewal come, it starts to change our idea of vocation. It starts to change the idea of what is fairness. Do people get leave? Do not just write leave on a sheet of paper? But when they're about to take leave, you start making them feel guilty about it. It changes our view about women. It changes our view about children, about foreigners, about entertainment, about decency, about community, about patriotism. All of these things are touched by the gospel because these things are part of our cultural artifacts. All of a sudden, people don't start thinking about Lagos as, oh my God, I'm going to Lagos. Now, don't get me wrong. The cultural impact that it makes is not what saves somebody. The social impact is not what saves somebody. But the more people are saved and their mindsets are being changed, it starts to reverberate socially and starts to reverberate culturally. Do we get the point? So when we think about how we want to see Lagos transformed, we start with the gospel at the center and see it with word and deed go through our every nook and cranny. Lagos needs 10 Christians to work for spiritual and social and cultural renewal. Takes me to my second point, which I am going to run through because I'm looking at time and I must get to the third one. So we're just going to run through it. Sometimes, which is opposition to transformation. Sometimes, you know the problem, and we got this question last week. When you think about your problems, right, you know because we're very spiritual people, we always see one devil around the corner that is chasing us. Every single thing that we do, my enemies, my enemies, my enemies. So we think life is all about the spiritual. 
Then some of us have experienced that growing up. We saw our parents do it, our aunties, uncles do it. We hate it so much. We say God has given us brains, brains, brains. And we're always talking about spirit. And so everything for us is virtually natural. So when we think of a cosmic view of the world, most of the time we're either thinking it's all spiritual or it's all natural. So when you think about the problems that Lagos face, we say it's just roads. And roads need you to have a plan, let the contract go well, and let everybody stick to their legal obligation and the road will be fixed, natural. Someone will say that, no, there is a territorial spirit. It's called the spirit of bad roads. If you don't fight against, it's an entity. If you don't fight against it, nothing will work. It's all spiritual. What does the Bible present? Well, the Bible presents a view that says it's spiritual working through the natural. You see, what Paul started to do, started to have an effect on the economy. But Paul also knew that at the center of the city's economy was something spiritual. What was it? The temple of Artemis. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Some say the number one of the seven. Mighty. Huge. And Artemis was the Greek god of fertility and the hunt, and therefore of commerce. So Paul, when Paul was preaching the kingdom of God in Ephesus, you know what it was? It was a showdown. A showdown between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Artemis. If you are preaching and living out the kingdom in Lagos, guess what? You are engaging in spiritual warfare. So expect opposition. What is our number one city idol in Lagos? What do we say it is? Progress. If you start living out the kingdom of God, progress is coming for you. Say, eh, progress? Eh, let him come now. <laughs> I want that one. Not like that. Because the idol of progress has created slums, created injustices in private and public sector. These have been carried out by humans, and yet spiritual forces are behind it. Now, remember I said, progress is not a bad thing. Progress as an idol is the bad thing. Do you understand? It will come for you. And how does Artemis fight back? Two ways. Through terror and error, or persecution and deception. So what is terror? For instance, in 23 to 27, we see that Demetrius incited a riot against Paul. It was intense. They had to hide Paul. They took two of his, um, Aristarchus and I can't remember the other person. They took two of his companions. Now, you think they were just inciting the riot because it was that their trade was being at risk. No, it wasn't just their trade that was being at risk. It was a spiritual battle because at the center of it, he said, look, what this Paul is saying is that our goddess, he's saying that she is not a god. Have you ever felt, as you are trying to do good, whether it is through evangelism, whether you are trying to do evangelism training, or it's a business, maybe you are trying to introduce HMO in your institution or you're trying to introduce tools to develop your staff, or maybe you're trying to do social justice. Maybe you're trying to train enslaved people. Have you ever felt frustrated at every corner? In any of these fairs? You feel it in the natural, but let me tell you, it also mediated spiritual opposition. Don't be fooled. Not every loss in your balance sheet was due to a direct spiritual attack. But please don't be fooled too that your frustrations with your church plant, the power station bid that you are trying to put in so that it will generate power for, uh, for thousands of Lagosians, or that life-altering health policy that you think anybody should want to accept, and you see that you are having frustrations over and over and over again, 
it's not just natural. Even the people that are opposing you don't know that they are not, they don't know that they are being used. But don't forget, this, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to what? Destroy. He would rather have one person prospering and 10,000 people in penury than to have the 10,000 people being lifted out of poverty. Now, when we get through these oppositions, when we face them over and over and over again, because kingdom people are always engaged in spiritual affairs, you know what? Here's the point. Don't complain. Don't just complain. Don't back down. Fight on. Or error. After Paul had healed and exorcised in verses 11 to 12, what do we have in verses 13 to 16? The sons of Sceva. Who are they? They tried. They said, ah, this thing is good, though. I wish I had this power. How did he do it? I think he was doing it, I think he said, in the name of Jesus Christ. Me, I don't know that Jesus. But it looks like the thing is working. So what does he do? They thought it was a formula. So he said, in the name of that Jesus, but that Paul preaches. Come out. <laughs> Nothing came out. Because they were trying to invoke the name of Jesus without having a personal relationship with Jesus. The Jesus that Paul preaches. I have heard many people in this city say something like this. God of Papa, God of Bishop, God of Pastor. So he's not your God. If you call God of something, don't expect him to show up for you because he doesn't know you. But what you are seeing with what happened with the sons of Sceva is Paul did something, did something, a kingdom did. And this was the counterfeit of it, error. And just as you have counterfeits of the kingdom did, you would have counterfeits of the kingdom's word as well. And so we have false religions all around. People are mixing and matching New Age stuff with Christianity. There is a very prominent Nigerian, Lagosian Christian, he's an entrepreneur in the tech space, I won't call him. But he's leading people astray with a weird form of mixing and matching of things. And people are saying they're being happy by what he's created. We also have erroneous teachings of Christianity all in the city. Some people are saying the Bible can be wrong because Jesus is all we need. Some people are saying God will not bring wrath to you. That wrath, well, God's wrath is man-made. It, man it was invented by men. Some will say you can be healthy and wealthy just by applying faith. Some will say holiness because all these people are all sleeping with each other and doing all these things. Holiness is the way you get saved. Some people say you can experience God through unmediated means. Listen, many of these things have good intentions. They identify with people's felt needs. But guess what? The sons of Sceva that were trying to exorcise somebody, do you think that person that they were trying to exorcise the demon from, do you think he wouldn't have been happy if they exorcised the demon from? He was a felt need. He doesn't want to be a demoniac. That doesn't mean that what the sons of Sceva were doing was right. Do we understand? It was still false and it was dangerous. It was Artemis that was coming against the ministry of Paul. Expect to be confronted with refutations of the true gospel. Expect to be confronted with people saying, you're just talking, but we were giving people breakthroughs and healings. Expect it. But here's the point. Don't complain. Don't just complain. Don't back down. Fight on. You know why? Because we win. How do we know we win? Third point. We know we win not by the articulation, a good articulation of the gospel, not by the precision of our doctrine, not by the zeal for justice, not by the passion we have for empowerment. All of these things are necessary, but they are not the main essential thing. With the, with the, having those things alone will be futile. 
You cannot defeat Artemis. You cannot defeat the idol of progress. You cannot de defeat Satan and his minions just by having those things. So how, do we how are we sure we will win? Why not complain? Why not back down? Why stay? Why fight on? Well, Demetrius tells us why. Verse 27. There is a danger, not only, if this thing continues, if this Paul is allowed to continue, there is a danger that not only our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. The goddess has, and the goddess herself will also be discredited, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world. She will be robbed of her divine majesty. I don't know Demetrius, but he has never uttered a truer word in his life. If the kingdom of God advances, then every idol will lose their majesty. But notice what Demetrius was doing. When they start to lose their majesty, it is, and the way they actually lose their majesty, sorry, when they're robbed of their majesty, they react. Why do they, how do they react? Well, some other false religions, what you have is that the adherents will fight. It could be by riot, as we see here. For some others, it could be by jihad. For some others, it could be by social and economic marginalization. For some others, they will ridicule you. They always fight back. How do you know you win? Listen, it is the obligation and duty of the adherents of those false religions to work to preserve the majesty of their God. It is the obligation and duty of the adherents of those false religions to work and preserve the majesty of their God. We know we win because in Christianity, it works the other way around. What do I mean? Through sin, we lost our own majesty because we rebelled against our creator, our creator and were rightly condemned. But God in Christ came to earth on a mission and lost his majesty by bearing our shame on the cross so that we can be saved. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2b. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Whereas people of other religions fight to save the majesty of their gods, the Christian God in Christ lost his majesty by fighting to save his own people. And now that he is risen and he has received an eternal majesty, those who believe in him, he gives that majesty to them and he says, take that majesty, fight to discredit every false religion, every false god of their own majesty. When we go into every nook and cranny, when we fight on, despite the oppositions, despite the frustrations, when we preach, when we preach the gospel in a contextualized way, when we go and are passionate for justice, and we start to see the culture affected in a gospel-centered way, we know the kingdom of God has come to Lagos. An unsent Christian is an oxymoron. If you are in this city, you are called to this city. If you're thinking of staying, of going, stay longer. But please have a mindset as you stay that you want to make a positive impact for the kingdom. And if you do this, believe me, if we all do this, and if we get more people to do this, more and more, we'll see this city renewed spiritually, socially, culturally, to the glory of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. <laughs>